Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige movie. Today, we're talking about 1996's A Time to Kill, the legal thriller, directed by Joel Schumacher. Uh, we've talked about his film The Lost Boys in the old Bald Move archives. Probably probably look for, on Bald Move Pulp for that one. Uh, he's also directed Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Falling Down, which I quite enjoyed back in the day, St. Elmo's Fire. It was uh, based on a screenplay written by Akiva Goldsman, who co is credited as co-creator for much of modern Trek. Did you know that, Jim? Oh, how could I not know that with all of our <laughs> coverage of Picard and now Strange New Worlds? Exactly. Picard, Strange New Worlds, those are the ones. Uh, he also has his hand in I, Robot, I Am Legend, Cinderella Man. He won an Oscar for his script for A Beautiful Mind, which uh, I remember liking quite a bit, too. Mm-hmm. This movie's based on the novel A Time to Kill by... Uh, famous, famed legal potboiler writer John Grisham, the firm Pelican Brief, uh, many others. I actually was like, God, I wonder if he's still writing books. He actually is cranking out a book, like a book, a, a, a book, uh, every year and a half, two years to this day. Wow, that that genre always amazes me. Uh, maybe we can talk about it more so later. But fucking rich. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm certain. I mean, he made six million dollars for this, his first novel. He yeah. sold uh, for a adaptation for six million dollars. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, printing his own money, man. Uh, turns turns out lawyers have a lot of cash, and they love reading about themselves. <laughs> uh, this movie stars Sandra Bullock. We've seen her in Speed, Gravity, Demolition Man, etc. Samuel motherfucking Jackson, damn near every Quentin Tarantino film he's been in, Die Hard 3, he's Nicholas Fury in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Matthew McConaughey, hey, 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 bald move fans will know him most prominently as Detective Rust Cole from season one of True Detective. Uh, Kevin Spacey, real life supervillain in this movie. As the primary, well, primary antagonist, one of the primary antagonists, uh, Oliver Platt. My theory of Oliver Platt is he's a palette shifted Philip Seymour Hoffman. Do you, do you agree or disagree? Oh, interesting. Uh, and I, here's the thing: I don't think Oliver Platt is as good of an actor as Philip Seymour Hoffman. No offense. But is that because Philip Seymour Hoffman existed? Like, Oliver Platt was only sure. given the roles of, like... Because Philip Seymour Hoffman had a lot of different things he could do. And one of the things he could do is be the guy who's like, why the fuck is this guy so confident and charming? What is... Mm-hmm. Like, what what is mm-hmm. his... What the fuck is his deal that he's carrying? Like, he's got this... Oliver Platt crushes that. Uh, but yeah, can he do okay. other things? I don't know. Because Philip Seymour Hoffman is always there to call. Uh, you know who he's been to who he impressed me as Uncle Jimmy on the bear. Oh, okay. Yeah. I forgot yeah. we saw him recently. Yeah, that's that's uh, see Philip Seymour Hoffman unfortunately passed away in steps. The pilot shifted Philip Seymour Hoffman, Oliver Platt, mm-hmm. uh, Donald and Keith, Keith first Sutherland both. They got the pair one yeah. on the side of the clan one against so the family name is morally neutral after the <laughs> uh-huh. film i guess he, uh the kids will know him as president snow from the uh what is that the hunger games uh quadrilogy uh kiefer's been a de- designated survivor in recent years of course he's most famous as agent jack bauer in 24 i think he played a vampire in uh, them lost boys too joel schumacher connection there uh mm-hmm. 
Jim, have you mm-hmm. ever seen this film before? Came out back all uh, out all the way back in 1996. And uh, regardless, what did you think of it? No, I mean in 1996, I was 14. There's no way I would be watching a John Grisham movie. Uh, Especially, this has got to be rated hard R, or maybe if if, like the first five minutes of this movie didn't get it, then I don't fucking know. Yeah, I mean, there's violence, there's uh, racial slurs up and down. It's uh, yeah, I had parts. It's hard to watch. I would say it's probably rated R. Um, I just looked it up, confirmed. Okay, no, I was not allowed to watch this, nor would I have cared to watch this movie. Uh, So I'm kind of glad that I waited until I was a full grown adult to watch this because a kid has no business watching this movie. A kid won't get this movie. A kid won't care. Mm. Why Why would I have seen this movie? Having said that, what did you think of this movie? Uh, it, it was not bad. I, I'm... I guess I'm pretty impressed by Matthew McConaughey in this movie. That's like the thing that stands out to me is I always think of Matthew McConaughey as like a kind of just you know a very good looking very charming kind of oh fine actor right like the guy the stoner, you call when you need a serviceable great looking dude yeah yeah uh-huh totally this was way more than that like i th- there's a speech he gives at the very end which we'll obviously talk about uh that does actually move me i mean th- there are several speeches in this movie but from him that's the one that stands out that's the thing he's doing here where he, I, I, I don't know, they gave him the script and gave him six months to practice this speech, and then he fucking nailed it. Yeah, they do a lot where there's a couple points in the movie where he's accused of kind of grandstanding on his own behalf, and, you know, because he's Matthew McConaughey, you're never quite sure. It's like, you know, is this guy in it for the right reasons? Is, he's gonna, is sure. he going to fold yeah. under pressure? Is he going to be able to deliver... Uh, on the on the the promise he's made in this movie, and I think it it kind of works. Um, but there because there is, there is that element of a guy who likes to see be seen and be heard, and he is a little high on his own supply, and he kind of needs the attention too because his law firm is really floundering. He's true he's in big debt. He can't pay his bills. He needs to drum up some business, so maybe this is an opportunity. But like, it, the thing about this movie is. I feel like it was John Grisham had this amazing idea for a single line and it's now imagine she's white. Mm-hmm. And then he said, what book can I write to justify this line? And then mm-hmm. he like half wrote that book. I, but, but I don't feel like the rest of the movie justifies that line because the whole idea of this movie in my mind is putting justice on trial right like what Mm -hmm. is the concept of justice but 90 percent of this movie is spent with legal minutiae like the standard courtroom drama stuff and that is not the heart of the issue the heart of the issue is never was he insane the heart of the issue is should we punish people who take the law into their own hands in these circumstances and so i i felt like the movie was kind of wasting my time most of it hmm and then there's yeah, this big I, turnaround at the end with that line in that speech, and I'm like, okay, this is the point I expected you to get to an hour ago. Yeah, there is. Um, it's interesting because this is a, a bit of a, a time capsule of a movie. It's like, you know, how did America feel about, you know, racial things back in 1996? Uh, and the yeah, thing yeah. that I was really, I thought was funny 
is the amount of grandstanding Matthew McConaughey's character is allowed to do at the end about like, how dare you fucking black people think that me, a white man was going to let you down or be anything else. It's like, there's a little bit of, did you get that? Like he, there's a little bit of hmm. almost like, uh, I mean, he did, he like, uh, uh, God, I don't want to spoil this movie, but at the very, he kind of like in I your mean, face, Samuel old. L. Jackson, Oh, you thought I was one of the... I don't know. There's... there's. Um, <laughs> I thought some of that stuff did not age super well. And... Uh, yeah, the, proving like, I'm if not this, the enemy. Mm-hmm. Right. And if this movie was written, I think, and, and made today, there would be... I mean, I think that would be seen as, as, as kind of gauche uh, and probably toned down. But, well, like, Along those you know, lines, I, I read Ebert's uh, review of this, and I think he's right on. This movie has a severe lack of attention of focus on the black story here. Yes. It's mostly about white characters with the exception of Samuel L. Jackson. Right. But even then it's like you're the, like the Samuel L. Jackson character is the medium to which Matthew McConaughey, you know, can like prove how good of a person he is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. He's the, the yeah Cindy, literally. I think you need, and Roger, goddamn Roger, uh, He's mm-hmm. so insightful. He like uh, he's 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 sco- no scope to the problem. This movie that you have this thing ostensibly centered about this like horrific black pain, you know, like again, oh, yeah. the, I was blown away at how fucking extreme this movie went at the, you know, to kind of set this uh, uh, heinous crime up. Um, And then 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 it's like, yeah, but then it essentially becomes Matthew McConaughey's movie and Sandra Bullock's movie and, you know, Oliver Platt's movie. Uh, So, yeah, that's I I think I think dead on. But which which is not to say it's ruined by that, at least for me, it might be ruined by that for some people, certainly. Um, Well, it's funny because it's like I don't know that it works if it ever did work as like a big statement on like racism in America. But I think it's still interesting and it functions really well as like, how do we feel about vigilante justice? Oh, for because sure. Because that's like, oh man, I kept on hopping around on two different opinions in this movie because like, I think the state ultimately's case is correct, you know, and, and not just like uh, legally, but I think morally, like you cannot, you know, take the law into your own hands and execute people without their trial, et cetera, et cetera. But they're using the worst people uh, <laughs> that you can think of to make that point. You know, like Kevin Space. I do not want Kevin Spacey's fucking mouth forming uh, the words about fucking face. Yeah. And and like, that's the thing about Kevin Spacey is like he it wasn't a lot of these like really smug, shitty, villainous, uh, sometimes psychopathic roles. And the fact that he in real life has become a supervillain just makes that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just the, the layers of smug and hateability that he had in 1996 are now, like, coming off of him in radioactive waves, um, which makes him effective. But, like, I, I thought I, I started digging around and, like, um, and I saw that this movie was extremely controversial in France, of all places, because this is Why? a European country that's very anti-death penalty. Oh, and okay. very anti, you know, like, uh, uh, lynching people. And they're, like, they... The, the the opinion over there is like this movie is taking an extreme situation, which granted you can't get much more extreme than two clan affiliated racist white dudes in the early nineties, viciously almost, almost raping a 10 year old girl to death. 
and they're like it's using that to like ramrod uh or, or, or ramrod through a whole bunch of other philosophical and moral shit that, that is not justified you know hmm. it's like yeah. And if you can find in your heart to forgive Samuel Jackson for doing the things that he does in this movie, and I think that's pretty easy to do. I think it's pretty fucking easy to do as a parent or anyone that, you know, has a a standard, like, you know, moral outlook on life. What does that actually mean? Like, okay, we're going to let a person murder people without trial as long as it's a really, really bad crime. You know, like, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's like bad a bad a bad case makes bad law. It's kind of like one of those the sure. type of things. Yeah, and but, to me, uh, um, I, I don't know. There is a distinct difference between vigilante justice in the real world and vigilante justice in fiction. And I think in fiction, we're able to have this kind of perfect knowledge of a situation. Yes, these people yes. absolutely one hundred percent did it because we've seen we it, it as an omniscient narr- uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes. They they did these terrible things, so yes, they deserve the punishment that they get, the vigilante justice. In the real world, it's never that cut and dry, and so it's a lot harder to excuse it in the real world than it is here. And here, I'm 100% for it. What's funny is, like, I don't think people... I don't think most people take that self-awareness into the real world, because I've seen time and time again that, like, a documentary comes out about a big high-profile murder, or maybe it's not even a high-profile. It's just, you know, maybe, maybe it even works better when it's not high-profile. And you, like, watch this documentary, and it's like, oh, my God, what a fucking miscarriage of justice. And then you go and you see this facts from the other side, and it's like, oh, my God, this is so... But, like, when people watch, like, even a real crime unfold over the television, you know, like, when they're you're following something like the O.J. Simpson case, like, people get... People take sides and act as if they are the omniscient narrator mm-hmm. that like they are just uh, impartially observing this flow of facts and they're absorbing everything and they can come to the Solomon like. And I, I do think it's kind of <laughs> dangerous that like that is how I think people consume a lot of this true crime stuff as if like, oh, I, I, I've got the answer. And maybe that stuff does get taken. I mean, w- would get taken into real life situations mm-hmm. if we allowed it to you know kind of spread unchecked like i i kind of like jury nullification uh but it's okay. also one of those things yeah. where yeah i mean that's like what why have a jury of your peers if ultimately the last safeguard wasn't your peers being like well this is fucking bullshit we're going to take this right. wheel and we're going to steer a little bit like so i think yeah. that's even though like the legal system seems like it does it just beat in a juror's head that like, you can't do it you fucking can't do it, you can't fucking do it but obviously you can it's mm-hmm. set up by the system if it's one person says having fucking not yeah you're gonna have a hung jury and that person just only one person can nullify it mm-hmm. so i kind of like that as like a safeguard but also it has to be kind of like a safeguard you know most like like if, if society is the function because, like, that's exactly what the South was doing against black people for years and years and years. Like, you know, there was a clear law of what should happen and evidence. At the end, it's like, well, a black person did it, so fuck them. They're going to the, de- you know, the gas chamber, going for prison life. It's a white person. Yeah. Like, they, the jury nullification has been used probably as miscarriages of justice far more than <laughs> more it's ever it. been. And I always think about that in the back of my mind mm-hmm. when you see this kind of thing, you know. And this movie is I, I think look I'm watching the movie I see mm-hmm. the horrible 
rape and beating happen. I know that it happened and these two people did it and they deserved punishment. Uh, the jury doesn't know that. That's the thing. Like right. the jury isn't in on that omniscient POV. So in this instance, I think the jury also gets it wrong because not having that information, they shouldn't be making that call. But me as the viewer, I can say, well, yes, the right call was made overall. It's just the jury should never have made that call. Yeah. Uh, it, it has got, this is some early Samuel L. Jackson work. Um, yeah, pretty It's got early. like an all-time uh, iconic line reading by him. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, you know, uh, where uh, 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 Kevin Spacey's pressing him about, you know, his culpability in the murder and how he thinks about it because... You know, the whole, whole thing is like, can Kevin or can uh, McConaughey get Jackson off on an insanity plea? Which also, I don't know if this movie understands or surely John Grisham understands the insanity plea and how it works. But, yeah. um, you know, he's he's pressing him about like the the the, the, the trying to see his uh, was mens rea, his his what how his mental state was at the time. And Samuel Jackson at the end of this uh, tense exchange blurts out. Uh, what do you say? It's like, uh, yes, they, they deserved it or yes, they deserve to die. And I hope they burn in hell. And he gives it a very mm -hmm. uniquely kind of Sam Jackson line reading to it. It's a <laughs> mm -hmm. delight. Um, yeah, I all did the volume and, and, and intensity you can muster. Yeah. And I, I did that. I thought it was interesting how the film also allowed, there's a couple points where, you know, McConaughey does that you know well hey I'm like one of the good good white folks routine and like Sam Jackson isn't having any of it yeah. I'm like and I was like wow that's an actually fairly sophisticated understanding of kind of like racial tensions and relationships circa 1996 but I felt like the movie undid it a lot in the last 10 or 15 minutes with having like McConaughey have a retort you know <laughs> maybe or or maybe it's or maybe it's a bridge I, I don't know I'm a little aspirational yeah 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 maybe it's something where like he's not proving to him that he was never the bad guy he's proving to him that he doesn't want to be the bad guy yeah i think and it's i don't know i mean you need those bridges right you need mm -hmm. you need people to step outside of them their their nature and themselves for a bit and see that yeah i, I was wrong about that um so so i think it's really good that that speech from sam jackson is probably the second best speech in the entire movie maybe the first best i don't know mm -hmm. the mcconaughey one's really good but mm -hmm. yeah it was a big moment but we're not on the same side yeah the one uh, about the war and you're the enemy yeah yeah um i'm trying to think otherwise this is a pretty um i, I was trying to think of like you know kind of in terms of filmmaking did this movie like stand out um, there's a couple, like, I think there's a lot of stuff that's really well filmed. Um, the first 10 minutes of this, the actual crime really fucking tough to watch, but done in not like a particular lurid way. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that, uh, uh, the, uh, I like the stuff involving the clan. I thought was really well shot. Like every time they did like a nighttime ride and were th throwing their burning crosses and stuff, it looks suitably uh, terrifying, but it was also undercut because I feel like, um, I, I just, Joel Schumacher is just like this big filmmaker and 
like Batman and I mean that stuff is supposed to be intentionally parody. Like when he's doing the bat nipples and the bat crotches and stuff. Yeah, like that's yeah. supposed to be funny, right? Totally. I felt like he took a little bit of that sensibility into filming the clan. But, huh. Okay. Because like didn't every time the clan was like talking, like when they were doing raids and like throwing crosses on women and children's lawns, they were terrifying. But every time you saw them talking amongst themselves and talking about them being a, you know, a clan of knights and a grand wizard and the dragon speak and the, like it just <laughs> I mean, it's inherent. It's There's no way to make ridic- that stuff the, impressive right. or cool. Right. It's inherently right. silly. And their ceremony is just essentially a sillier, like, hazing ritual from a cop. So it's like, it's one of those things yeah. where the movie was wanting you to take these guys as serious threats, but also showing ultimately how, like, buffoonish and vulgar they are. And I felt yeah, like... Yeah, I thought that worked pretty well, actually, huh. for me. I huh. mean, I... Yeah, I I see... How seriously they take these really stupid rituals and costumes, and right. to me that makes them laughable. To me, their you know their worldviews are just as stupid as their costumes, um, and so I see that as like a little bit of comedy. Like you're supposed to think that these people are yeah. fools, right? Yeah, but you're also supposed to think that they're very dangerous fools. That's what I'm saying, and that's and they, that's actually I think it worked. And the fullness of time, that's, I, I kind of, I guess that's why I was getting at in 1996. I wonder if you're people looking at this like, wow, this movie is really, you know, it's like uh, being torn apart by the need to take the clan serious as a threat and also showing them that they're essentially Batman villains. But in real life, like, like even the way they, they cast a lot of these clansmen, they're like cast as these like inbred looking carny fuckers, right? I see what you're saying. So the, the juxtaposition of like the portrayal in this movie versus real life, what these people are like. But I, no, that, I was going to say it's like I in real see... life, in real life, they are kind of like it's it's been said before that the white uh-huh. supremacists seem to be the least supreme of the whites consistently. <laughs> you know, if like if that's if that's if that's what all you've got yeah. going for is your fucking white heritage, whatever the fuck that means, then like, boy, howdy, you must be pretty low on other sources of pride, brother. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And when you see some of the, the behind the scenes buffoonery in the modern white supremacist movements, it's like, man, maybe they're just because that's the thing. It's like that's what killed the Klan. Finally, uh, that's at least that's the legend I've always been told uh, in the like the 40s and 50s is like Superman comics and the radio show just doing an accurate uh, like like because like, that's I guess Superman started fighting the Klan uh, fucking based. Uh, he, interesting. That but they're took, just what, like all of two hours to wrap up. I mean, <laughs> what's the claim? Yeah, do you think Superman? that would? You think that would be light work for the son of Krypton? But apparently, so. it was a years long struggle because because apparently, super because Superman represented America. And America had to you know uh, was was torn down the middle about how we felt about racists. Uh, oh yeah, ideas take a long time to kill. Yeah, he's That's fighting. He's fighting. The, he's fighting the country. You know, it takes a nation of millions to to hold Superman back. <laughs> But uh-huh. was I was even going. No, the, I guess what brought the clan down is like the, you know, them using real life thing, like calling them Cyclopses and showing them in their goofy robes and like doing an accurate depiction of like how the clan. So it's like no longer the mysterious people who are, you know, making mm, uh, politicians quake. And, and you just see showing them it's like, is this you just make them look uncool and mm-hmm. it fucking evaporated them. Uh, so yeah. I don't know. It's like when Hollywood stopped making smoking look cool. Turns out a lot fewer people smoked, right? 
yeah, then, then we all switched to vaping in the 2020s, and well, yeah, tobacco ends up cool. winning. Yeah, I don't know, but I it's just it's interesting to see something that's almost 30 years old, um, and like the the attitude it shows, and then you know living in 2023, how we're feeling about it now. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. Like I said, it's an odd little time capsule in a lot of ways uh, of a film. Yeah. Clothing. The stars being uh, the ages they are in this is always shocking to me. They play Sandra Bullock as fresh out Just of out college, of law. Law going school. into law, not quite through law school. She's like in her, uh, thir- she's a third year lawyer, maybe. Uh huh. Which I I guess makes sense for her at the time. I don't know how old Sandra Bullock is. Uh, this movie is jam packed full of beautiful people at the height of their like the the freshness seal on McConaughey and Bullock has just. You can. It's like yeah, a brand new tube of tennis balls straight out of the blister. You know, pack. yeah, they're uh-huh. exactly, exactly. They're mint, mint condition. Mm-hmm. Ashley Judd. Oh, and Ooh. also, also like they got this thing where it's like it's deep south and it's summertime, so like everyone Everybody. has a sheen of sweat, and it looks really good on Judd and McConaughey. I have to say, it looks good. I always imagine. It looks the, inviting, the feel like a, and the smell, though, because these people can't yeah. possibly stay fresh for long. You get yeah. out of the shower and you just stay wet all day. That's not good. Yeah, there's the like what it looks like on film when you're getting down in like sultry summer southern conditions, and then there's the fucking reality. Yeah, it just yeah. feels bad. <laughs> it really does. Like, pouring <laughs> sweat when you're trying. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it can it can it can be difficult. Um, but you know, right. life finds a way. Yeah, it does. They look, uh, they look invite. They look like uh, a slip and slide at a <laughs> at a backyard birthday party. Just like you wanna, you wanna I take want a ride. You wanna take a, a riding. You wanna slide. take a riding dive and yeah, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. just glide. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's also like kind of a quasi period piece. Did you get the idea that this was? It's filmed in '96, but it felt like it was something in the mid '80s. I know that's when the book took place. Oh yeah, but there's something okay. slightly like throwbacky, kind of like if you tried to. I guess it'd be like filming something from the early 2000s, where you'd have to, you know, account for dress and clothes and and and, and cars and whatnot. I don't know. I'm so used to seeing those '90s suits, those big like swimmy oversized suits and he's in size swimming yeah uh uh-huh so i i felt like it was the 90s but i suppose it could have been the late 80s as well there was a lot of apparently apparently we just uh went on (laughs) we went on a war against taylor's in the 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 1990s the late 20th century (laughs) uh it had, had a moratorium on tailoring men's outfits uh, th- we've mentioned like five or six of the people uh, who are involved in this who mm-hmm. are staples of 90s film, but there are so many in this movie. Every time somebody came on screen, I'm like, oh, it's that guy. It's that guy. Uh, like the the guy I like to call Fuckfish because of adaptation. Uh, Chris Cooper is in this. Chris Cooper. Is this the first time we've seen Chris Cooper not be a complete shitbag? <laughs> Um, maybe I remember him from Jason Bourne and adaptation and he's not a complete shitbag in adaptation, but That's he's not true. great. Yeah. He's not a, he's yeah. But I feel like he's always like oppressing mutants 
or mm-hmm. trying to kill Matt Damon for participating in a black ops uh mm-hmm. he's just always doing just uh he's uh it wasn't wasn't he the closeted gay father to tried to kill kevin spacey in american beauty too yes yes he is he, he's just like yeah it's like i what is what what must it be like to have that face that people just like ah, we need a real <laughs> we need well, a real Keith- rat fucker we need a rat uh-huh. fucker in this role what's chris cooper doing call his agent yeah uh, Kiefer Sutherland's like that too, right? I can't think of a single role I've ever seen Kiefer Sutherland in that wasn't a villain. And don't say 24. I was going to say Jack even Bauer. Jack Bauer. Uh-huh. <laughs> even Jack Bauer only was good because we were kind of like high on the post 9-11 supply. You know? Uh-huh. Like we yep. need rough men to do rough things to keep us safe because we're scared. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, if you look at his... If you look at his uh, cinematic oeuvre before this movie, it is just a bunch of, like, not just villains, but, like, James Spader-level, mm-hmm. shallow, dirtbag, dirt rich kid, vampire, you know, teenage high school vampire. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's so weird because his dad, Donald, uh, always plays nice guys. I mean, I, I'm sure I've seen him play a villain or two, but... When I think of him, I think of him playing heroes or like maybe not lead heroes, but definitely supporting heroes. And yeah. this movie's no exception. Yeah. Uh, but there another talk about boy, uh, dirtbag villains. Kurt Wood Smith is in this. You know him from RoboCop. Choo- Ro- RoboCop. Yeah, well, he's he's red, right? And and he's uh, yeah, Red Foreman in that '70s show. Uh huh. Who's definitely shitty. Uh, yeah, he he's in a lot of stuff as villain. Um, there are a lot more, but I can't I can't think of them at the moment. I did think it's particularly funny that Donald Sutherland's essentially playing like a drunken, washed up Atticus Finch, mm-hmm. and Kiefer is playing like. <laughs> Uh, the 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 white boys that got killed in the novel. It's like it. They're just completely on opposite sides. Same family member on opposite sides of the the political spectrum here. Oh, uh, McConaughey's secretary Brenda Fricker is the pigeon lady from Home Alone Two. Oh my God, you're right. I think she's also Mike Myers' mom from yep. I think I Married an Axe Murder. Yep, totally. Oh, you're a wee sexy bastard you are. Uh, While we're talking about characters, can we talk about the judge whose name is Noose in this movie? Is that too spot on? Is that like... Weren't a lot of the character names like that? Because I I thought I was starting to notice a pattern. I mean, maybe. Uh, But... uh... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, Judge Noose, though, for sure. The the and then you go out and you see him, and he's got this like kind of plantation style home. Uh-huh. He's got a black butler, and sure enough, a black housekeeper. And I'm sure in the if the kitchen, he'd probably have a a black a cook. Uh, I mean, it's very Southern aristocratic gentleman judge Mississippi mm-hmm. lawyer, and everything that means. Yeah, and his last name's fucking Noose, <laughs> right? The that district attorney's lynch. Yeah, it's it's pretty right, bad. Right. 
I thought Keith. I thought the Keith of the Sutherland had. I was trying to find his uh, character name because I thought a couple of them had like some. Freddie some... Freddy Lee Cobb is his name. No, that's not very. Cobb is just uh, that's uh, that's redneck. I don't know if you can go any any direction. I thought there was one. No, I'm not looking at. Huh. Ah, I thought I had a name theory here. I don't know. Uh, do we want? What else do we want to say? And just like. Um, uh, I guess generalities. Do we want to talk specific and, and spoilers? Uh, yeah, that's cool. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. Before I do that, just in case you haven't seen this uh, movie, this is about uh, Samuel L. Jackson as a father of a 10-year-old girl who's brutally raped uh, by two white boys. It's pretty cut and dry. Uh, they're immediately apprehended and arrested and set to put, go on trial. And before their pretrial appearance, Samuel L. Jackson uh, lies in ambush inside the courthouse with an M16 and rolls up on them boys and ventilates them. Uh, in the crossfire, he accidentally shoots a sheriff's deputy, uh, wounding him in the leg. Uh, that leg will have to be amputated, which adds a little bit of spice that, to, you know, well, if you feel a certain way about him killing his uh the 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 people that tormented his little girl how do you feel about him almost murdering a cop uh he is of course arrested it's the trial of the century in mississippi uh it's uh, we, we've been told the clan has been dormant for many years and they use this as a way to stop up recruitment and it just turns into a big old political shit show and can matthew mcconaughey get uh, Samuel L. Jackson off with a plea of insanity so that he can continue to provide for his family or is the state going to gas Samuel L. Jackson? That's the stakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll have to watch the movie to see how it plays out or listen to the rest of our review here. Um, Can we say at the beginning that I think it's weird because John Grisham is a real lawyer. He went through law school it's always interesting mm-hmm. to me when I see people get off with the plea of insanity. Like at the end of the trial, it's like, damn, you were fucking insane and you killed a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. It would be immoral to put you in jail. So we're just going to free you to live your best life in society. Yeah, Is that how, how it works, works Jim? How uh, does no. it work? You just go to a different institution. Instead of a prison system, you go to a mental facility. And in, in, in theory, may you could be released if your insanity was ever clear, cured. Sure. But in practice, you are essentially going to die in that facility. Um, and in fact, some of those sentences can effectively be longer than, you know, you can like serve, you can, you can serve a 25 year sentence and get released. If you're found guilty by reason or not guilty by reason of insanity, you might die in that prison. Uh, well, uh, the uh, prison mental facility. Yeah, uh, you gotta you gotta plead temporary insanity. That's that's the real legal loophole. Temporary. Even insanity. then, like, is that even because th- I feel like that uh, that's becoming less and less of a thing as time goes on. I assume, that, like, yeah, you're either found crim like insane, or and then you're going to be in a in an institute the rest of your life, or you're going to, you know, be found uh, guilty, convicted, and guilty. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought that was kind of weird and because it's like one of the things where um, they're really wanting the jury like it's it very clear to me that they're really wanting the jury to just discount the law and the evidence and just rule yeah. on a pure emotional thing. 
Um, and you know, like I said, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the right and wrong answer is. I guess I'm against vigilant. Do you want to talk about the core issue of the movie? Um, sure. Because like, like I said, it's, it's not about like a black man killing a, a two white people. Um, it's more of like how we feel about vigilante justice, but I guess you have to consider the first thing because yeah. like anytime, because like the movie makes that point, right? That you're, mm-hmm. we're dealing with a system where for years and years and years going back to, for hundreds of years, uh, you've had one uh, type of person who's had their hands on all the levers of power. You've had another type of person who've had all those levers of power directed against them uh, horrible miscarriages of justice. They even talk about a, a rape that was, I think, a deck from a decade ago, where these boys got off scot free, didn't get punished at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, okay, how do you feel about vigilanteism? And also, how do you feel about like if you got all these people running races, relay races down through generations, and uh, some of the competitors have been like shoved around, pushed, had their ankles broken, like what is the appropriate legal remedy when you decide to stop doing all that? Okay. We're not going to be pushing people. We're not going to, we're not going to be taking tackling certain runners. We're not going to be shooting certain runners. They're going to break certain rank. Uh, but, but those relay races are, are really far behind now. How do you help them catch up? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you, do you get them preferential treatment in schools? Do you give them preferential treatment in the judicial system? Do you give them rep- Like what is the appropriate remedy to actually achieve justice? And I guess I don't feel like I have any more light onto that issue after watching this movie than I did going into it. Um, yeah, because it's not something that's going to be solved in a single person's case, right? There isn't going to be a single example that says this is the pattern going forward because this issue is so much bigger than any one case. I mean, it's it, and I think the movie does an okay job with that idea, with the concept of there's a war going on and you don't see it as a war but we have to see it as a war because we are the targets of the war like um and the the idea that like you're just going to have a black person win a case and suddenly like racism is solved is a foolish one and i think the movie says that um but the the movie also wants to say there is a path forward but it's it's not going to change everything, right? It's not immediately. It's going to have to take a long time. You know, the kids are going to have to grow up uh, associating with each other. Like this black family is going to have to, you, you know, come back off their position a little bit to let what I view as like a guy Matthew who honestly wants to do beautiful right. white child to play with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Matthew McConaughey has to look inside himself and say, yeah, it's kind of fucked up that I've been this guy's quote unquote friend for so long and we don't actually like act like friends right right our families don't and you know over the course of generations that stuff starts to take hold well and it's but also it's not something that's a single a, case it's an imperfect project right when you desegregate american society the idea is like you know within a few generations mm-hmm. you'd have everybody you know singing you know holding hands and singing kumbaya attending each other's churches and each other but like in in like very desegregated legally in america but like in practice really fucking segregated yeah you know and where we live and where we go to school and where we associate Mm-hmm. Um, that, that part of like is the, that, but that part of the dream hasn't been realized. And I, I guess that's what I was getting at is like, when we're talking about like, how do you balance the scales? 
is um you know like do you have like if 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 you're running a relay race the the help people catch up is like does the answer to randomly go to the other side and you know uh break ankles and shoot and 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 cause disruptions <laughs> on there does it is, i'm not i'm not even joking like does is gotcha. for does do does does like white people have to accept a few like injustices? Did we have to live with them some things that are just on the face of unfair and double standards? Is that like a pro- part of the process that we have to go through to get to the other side? Because it, I don't think like I don't I don't think like like what am I trying to say here? I think in a perfect world you would like for white folks to be said, hey, we got to stop oppressing black folks. All right. And just from here on forward, we're going to stop doing it, and uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to help people <laughs> for recover to be a thing that they can actually do. Just at the but, flip of a switch like that, yeah. But in practice, maybe the pendulum does have to swing the other way, and you, we have to endure a generation or two of like things being unfair from the other side. And I, I feel I like know, at that's, least perceived unfair. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like it's well. Yeah, whenever you take something away as far as privilege, it's always going to feel unfair to the person. And to be clear, what I'm saying, like level, I'm talking about um, there might be a couple of white kids who otherwise by the grades get into a Mm -hmm. college that they don't get into because of affirmative action. I'm talking about uh, there might be a few black guys to get off of a prison sentence that they should have been found guilty for. Uh, White people might be made to feel really bad on social media. Mm hmm. It's not going to be hundreds of years of chattel slavery. Like that, right. I don't, I don't think that's going to break out in North America where the the, the racial debt. So like, it's never going to. But like, it, I don't think it's instructive to see like with when when like white folks get a little taste of like uh, how much like moral kind of uh, outrage comes out at that. You know, it's like well, it's also fear, right? Like, because I I I don't personally you, think that you would see. Uh, white people enslaved by the you know uh, uprisen black people but like there are people out there who definitely fear that like it's look at all the terrible things we did to them what do you think is gonna happen if they get power it's certainly Payback. that's like yeah underneath everything that does like oh my god what if we're treated the way that we have right. treated people for <laughs> right. arguably centuries uh, yeah know? that, that and, stark and, fear and the way that those people still want to treat others like that that's, that's the thing like they know what's in their heart they that's what they fear is that these people are just like them yeah yeah uh so, so of course how... you have you have people fighting against that but i i just fundamentally don't believe that's the case i i think these people just want to be treated as human <laughs> that's that's fundamentally what it comes down to. Just yeah, I, I do too. I think that people have better things to do than to, perce- but but the the perceive like generational grievances. If if people had economic opportunity, people could care for their families. Um, mm-hmm. If people felt fairly equally represented under law, like you get that for generation two, and uh, we'll we'll get to the promised land. But uh, I don't know. Like, what do you what, what do you do? You have any strong feelings about what the movie is saying in terms of this, or is this like I don't even know if this movie had anything to say. It's like this movie is just kind of like because I I looked at Grisham wrote this novel, I guess based on a real case that he was familiar with in law school, and he's kind of like and and now that I know I, I did a little bit of research into Grisham, and I guess his passion project is the Innocence Project. He like the Sandra Bullock character in this movie wants to uh, eliminate the death penalty. 
Okay. Do you think that there's like, what do you think this work has to say about these issues that we're, we're, we've just been talking about in this, in this film in particular? Uh, I, I think the movie says it doesn't have to be this way. You know, if we could get both sides of this quote unquote war to understand each other and to genuinely come together to, to be actual friends instead of just in name only that this stuff would eventually go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always thought that the, the tricky thing is, is like, cause I don't think we're there yet. You'd be a fool oh, to, no. to say that oh, you're no. there in terms of equality, but like there is going to be this paradox that let's say, I don't know if it's got, you know, it's going to be 20, 30, 50, God help us a hundred years. But there will be like a time where you do get some sort of equality that you can measure like, you know, because right now you, it's easy to measure disparities and like criminal mm-hmm. justice outcomes, economic outcomes, educational outcomes. What if those shrink to the point where like they're like very hard to determine? Statistically It'll still, still, insignificant. Yeah. But they'll still be like, you know, people won't trust it. Right. Because you've got sure. all, like all sure. this long history, uh, like the, it'll, it'll probably be a generation or two of equality achieved before it feels like it's achieved. Because uh, there's this, so. this like cultural, uh, um, you know, inertia against that. Um, uh-huh. But then that's like we. I guess we got to prepare ourselves for that. You know that like. But, but you, know, you first... need that inertia too, right? To get to that point, like that's the thing. Right, because you have like to push extremely hard against racism. Yes. To make any movement, but you're gonna probably. You, you risk pushing beyond the line where, you know, anybody who is completely objective would look at it and say, no, it's pretty fair now. But it's part of the process because like in my lifetime, yeah. I can think of like three different landmark studies that have come out that's like tried to argue that like actually, you know, things have like improved and gotten to parity or even maybe uh, black people are unfairly advantaged in society. And every single time, like, by in the, what you know, part? I, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, By the time it gets peer reviewed and you like account yeah, for yeah. everything and you look at stuff, it's like, oh, no, actually, it hasn't. But like one of these days, but you need like because uh-huh. like what I don't want a society that's like in 1985, a landmark study comes out is actually black people have achieved <laughs> equality with white people. It's like, hey, we're done. We're done. It's cool. Let's everybody go home. Yeah. You want an adversarial relationship. Like, wait a fucking minute. Let's look at the the, the underlying data. Let's look at the stuff. Because if you didn't have that, you, 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 yeah, you would aim for justice and you would undershort it. You'd, you'd under, uh, un, what do you do? You'd, you'd, you'd fall short of that by quite a bit, you know? Right. Not that right. it's a moving target, but we have like society has its own cultural biases and it built, you know, systemic institute, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I don't uh, think the movie goes that deep into it, but it, it does have, it's heart in the right place, I guess at the end. Yes. And that's why I'm not like offended to, you know, proxy offended for black people at the end of this movie. Maybe I should be, maybe I'm just not reading it the way that I should be. And this is extremely offensive, but I view it as something like you said, aspirational, something that we can, we can all like try to do a little bit better at the end of this. And it's just open ourselves up to the, the people around us. Yeah. And I, like I said, I don't know uh, uh, what from offensive, but I can also see like uh, it just feel unrealistic or it's like, you know, like I just like imagine in real life uh, Matthew McConaughey saying that to Samuel L. Jackson in 1996 under the circumstances like, you know, you just you just got this hard fit fought legal victory and you just got this man (laughs) off of the gas chamber and the first thing you say to him it's like i'm one of the bad guys huh 
Uh-huh. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, McConaughey, sit down. It's it's going to be fine. Like, may, maybe let Samuel L. Jackson absorb whatever lesson there is to learn in his own time. Uh, it, it, yeah, just felt very, yeah. very felt very, it just felt very white, uh, mm-hmm. that, that part of the movie. I just not getting that fits of it. It's just like, almost like a laugh out loud moment, you know? Yeah. I'm with you. And at the same time, like, the whole course like, of the movie is him defending his life, right? And, and, like, but why is he doing it? That's always the question, right? He's taking fucking... He's taking Sandra Bullock to these, uh, like, crawdad restaurants or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I think she pinpoints, like, he is just trying to impress her with how... Okay, let's talk about a part of the movie that I really don't like. Yeah. And it's that whole relationship between him and Sandra Bullock. I don't know why they go to the flirty, God, I want to fuck you, but I can't because I'm married angle. Why? It's, it's, I is think it it's, literally I, only because Sandra Bullock is super hot? Is that it? I like, think we can't put this woman on screen without having Matthew McConaughey be interested in her. I think it's deifying this white guy. I, I the, the 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 lesson I got from that is like what, what? a good guy Matthew McConaughey is. Oh, His okay, okay. Super hot young wife left him because she's Look uncomfortable it. with his social justice stand and here here, here comes ultra liberal super fucking hot Sandra Bullock throwing herself gagging gagging on the bit of Matthew McConaughey wanting it so bad and he's like nah man nah I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my mouth I'm gonna get uh, my mouth I'm gonna get my mouth this close to y'all <laughs> Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. <laughs> I'm a, I'm too good of a guy, everyone. I, do you see how hot this? And I'm gonna walk. That I think that's what it was. I think yeah, it's what it I was. Want you to stay. That's why you gotta mm-hmm. go. That, that's why you yes. gotta go. It's Matthew. He's such a good guy. He's defending this black man single-handedly against the entire state of Mississippi. He's turning down free mm-hmm, pussy. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. Look, it's not that much of a sacrifice. His wife is Ashley fucking Judd. But at the height of her powers. Come on. But but barely legal co ed. He's at the gates of Nirvana here. Right. Right. He's such a good guy. He's such a fucking good guy. I can't believe it. You're right, that's exactly what it's doing. But I felt like the movie had done that effectively with the Samuel L. Jackson case. He's all he's a lawyer who can't pay his fucking bills. He's got zero clients. None. The checks are bouncing from the ones that he had before uh, that he had sewn up with the retainer. Uh, And then he's taking on this case from Sam Jackson who can't even pay him the agreed pittance that this case uh, that he agreed to do the case for. So like, yeah, in every single way. I just felt like it was too much. It was over the top. Like, so don't. this is this is also very Grisham, though. Have you seen the Rainmaker? It's my personal favorite. No, it has a lot of similar tropes where it's like, because uh, I was watching, it's like, man, you're, you're just like a Grisham checklist. Like, okay, uh, civil rights lawyer, check. Young, ridiculously good looking, check. Uh, down on his luck, can't fucking make any money because he's just such a good guy, check. Uh, Going to have an important piece of character development uh, delivered by a woman getting the holy hell beat out of her, check, check. Uh, I think it's like early Grisham was, he had a, he had this kind of like Gary Stu civil rights lawyer that he envisioned himself as, and it was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and you had to have like, 
you, you know, you had to have this kind of like moral dilemma of you got to, you know, you got to, you got to do these morally correct things. Uh, but yeah, I, this movie is super the... formulaic. Like there was never a question to me whether this movie would end in Samuel L. Jackson getting the electric chair or getting freed. See, I thought there might be because I wasn't uh, speaking of Batman and Robin, uh, Chris O'Donnell. He was in another movie where he was, I think, defending a guy hmm. on death row. And I think the end of that movie, the guy does get the gas chain. So, like, I I thought it's entirely hmm. possible that Samuel L. Jackson could die at the end of this movie because it is Mississippi. Okay. I mean, they had been telling us the right. whole fucking. And it's like, you know, like as an audience, we'd know like, oh, this is a whole bunch of horse shit. But 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 no, I think you're right, because even if the, you know. Uh, the movie can still be formulaic and then at the end it's like you know solution A or solution B right yeah and the formula here to me is kind of what tears down the middle part of this movie because the the middle part of this movie is what I like the least Um, it's concerning itself with the wrong things in the case in my opinion it is trying to be a pretty standard like if we could find the legal loophole to get this guy off on Mm -hmm. he'll be free and justice will be served when I never viewed that as even a possibility, like it it was such a cut and dry case that there is no possible way you're going to get this guy freed on purely legal ground. It's going to have to be a plea to the hearts of the jurors. It has to be. It's at a heart. This is at its heart, a jury nullification case. You're just asking the jury to throw out the evidence, throw out the law and just go with your heart. I mean, that's, that's exactly what he asked for at the end. Follow your heart. Yeah, so why do we waste all this time with like this insanity plea that's going nowhere with the the like making sure that we know oh you got to keep the case in the right jurisdiction like I mean I guess that makes sense because you know that was he the ends whole, up with that's a full the, white that, jury that's the that's the only yeah. legal maneuver that actually mattered because you're right, right you see right. like Ke- you know Kevin Spacey trot out the gun and prove that it's like and and you yeah, have all this parade yeah of we doc- know we have know, hundreds like, of people just... who saw him murder these two guys in the courthouse there yeah. there is no question about whether he's guilty it's whether they yeah. will punish him and the movie concerns yeah. itself for an hour and a half on whether he's guilty and I I, I was. It was an exercise in patience for me to sit through that part of this movie. Yeah, I um, and I, it doesn't seem like as I watched. Uh, I, I like this guy Legal Eagle. I follow on YouTube. He does, um, you know, he's he's a lawyer and he does a lot of like uh, breakdowns of legal news and stuff. But in when when breaking news isn't happening, he also does these like a lawyer reviews. And he did like uh, he he reviewed a measure of a man, a Star Trek episode where Data's sentence is on trial. Nice. And he's done my cousin Vinny, and he goes and he's like, <laughs> right, 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 serious. He, no, movie? no, it's, but that's like okay. But he's like he's just using as educators. Like here's how like you know commonly you see all these like tropey things in the court. Well, he had a field day with this because this is just like I think that's what, oh, pretty yeah. much what he said. It's like this. There's so much of this stuff that just doesn't even matter. There is like the prosecution making defense points at points. There is defense making prosecution points. There are these mm-hmm. shocking Perry Mason moments that don't really because you're right. Like there's this whole dueling experts thing where they're disqualified. But like at the end of the day, the thing they keep show, flashing back to, which is the jurors having dinner with each other at their sequestered motel and seeing the ebb and flow mm-hmm. of undecideds, guilties, not guilties. And, you know, like the movie is telling you at the, you know, at the night before summation that all of the jury is voting guilty. Yeah. 
and Matthew McConaughey is going to judo that with a passionate, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the speech, essentially. Okay, let's talk about that, because I think this line th- that I think is, like, the justification for the rest of the entire movie, this now imagine she was white. Mm-hmm. What is that? I, I wanted you to talk a bit about that. Yeah, Yeah. so... so he, so he's lost his case, right? The jury has has indicated the night before they're going to all vote guilty, and he's been made to look a fool, Matthew McConaughey. And then he has this discussion with Sam Jackson, and and his wife comes back. I, that's all bullshit, too. I, I hated his wife just showing up out of nowhere and absolving him of all of his potential guilt. Uh, yeah, that, that was bullshit. Anyway, he so he gives this impassioned speech about uh, where, where he... Walks everybody through the crime, detail by detail, pornographically so, as Ebert says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got the jury in tears. Like the, the jury is feeling this intensely, and I'm feeling it. I'm welling up. I'm like so many emotions I'm experiencing during this speech, and he delivers it amazingly well. And then at the end, he says, "Now imagine she was white." And I'm tr- I'm trying to interpret like why this is the line. Because in Same. my mind, you don't need to imagine she's white to feel what they are obviously feeling. They're weeping in the jury box. I was trying to figure that out, too, because, yeah, because like there's this. This is all also this is all set up by Keith Sutherland or I'm mean, sorry, Donald Sutherland, um, the old drunk civil rights lawyer sobering up and telling Matthew McConaughey after he fucking epically screwed the pooch. Uh-huh. Hey, none of this uh-huh. shit matters. It's just like you got to get the jury to identify with them. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. And Sam Jackson says, like, I hired you because you are the enemy, because you are them. So and you know how convince they, like, them, convince yourself, right? So like, I don't know I that think- he's fully convinced himself over the course of this movie. So I think the the now imagine she's white is not the white people trying to get the white people to identify with like, oh, this could be your little girl. It's more of like, you know, why did Sam Jackson kill these guys? Sam Jackson killed these guys yeah. because a decade ago, two white boys got off in very similar circumstances by ra- for raping a little black girl. Mm-hmm. You can't even imagine that miscarriage of justice happening if it was a white a little 10 year old white girl getting raped by two good old white boys let alone if it was a, a two black men you know acting the so the there is an implication ra- there right imagine she's white which means you would in those people's minds imagine that the perpetrators were black right and like well, how would you feel and also like i i think it's i i thought maybe i'm being stupid but i thought there's a like imagine like it's if the tables reversed imagine like you know the idea that like this would happen and you're not even sure the state can get justice because mm-hmm. i think none of those juries would think that like if matthew mcconaughey's little girl got raped by there's no doubt in the world that he'd get justice for her you know there yeah, wouldn't oh, be yeah. this yeah but like sam jackson didn't and like what would you do if you were a father or you were a mother in a, situ- in, yeah. in a system where it was uncertain i thought is the now imagine she's white no, it took it took me a lot of thinking about this line to get to arrive at a conclusion that I feel makes sense. And I'm going to I'm going to give the movie the benefit of the doubt here and say this is what it's going for. In my mind, fundamentally what this line does is it turns 
their sadness into anger. Mm. And that is what makes them identify with Sam Jackson. It's not some poor stranger whose, you know, daughter got killed. It's, or, or sorry, not got killed, but uh, got brutalized. It's, it's now like, I, I don't know, because because you can feel sad about that, right? And you can feel like, oh, what a tragedy. And you can even weep over the fact that that's such a horrible tragedy. But now you have to transmute that into anger, into mm. action. And I, I think that's what that line does. And it does it fairly effectively. I just wish the rest of the movie was written more to that line. Because it, it seems so clear to me that like this was the idea, the genesis of the idea for this movie. <laughs> like, I thought it was... Like, in- yeah, yeah, John Grisham impressed himself with this line and then was like, what movie can I write to justify this line? And I don't well, feel like he got there. Do you know, I read a piece of trivia that apparently much of that speech was actually given by a juror in the book, like during their final deliberations. Like these were the, the juries oh, organically coming to the, you know, like the one, one holdout. Yeah, like it's a 12 angry man situation. Okay. Do you think it works better if... You know, Matthew, like like the closing speech, actually, he doesn't connect the dots and the jury connects them for them or. Uh, because I agree that like the whole point of that line is to somehow maybe? get them to go from the personal to the systemic. And for maybe the first time in their <laughs> lives, think about what if my experience and my expectations weren't universal and how would I feel mm-hmm. in that system? Yeah, I don't know if it works better as a juror. Maybe I have to read the whole. Maybe book. It, I, you need to redo some of the scenes because I don't, I don't know what. I mean, I guess we'd go to the deliberation room and we'd see them argue it. But like, what what gets the juror there? Because Matthew McConaughey falls flat on his face in this case. Yeah, what would yeah, get that juror really to actually defend that position, other than just an innate compassion and innate understanding? I saw that there's like I definitely got that there's bits and pieces of the novel that's in this movie that are like vestigial, like they they got. Cause did you get the Mickey Mouse character? Uh, I I mean I know who Mickey Mouse is. I don't know what you mean. Get it. Well, like, there's this one Ku Klux Klan member that's always, mm-hmm. like, dropping a dime to let people know that, hey, you know, you got to get out mm-hmm. of the house. People are about to die or they're going to kidnap this woman. And my name's Mickey Mouse. And then they show he's got a Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. There's this, like, member of the Klan who inexplicably is working against them. And yeah. I guess in the novel, they make it clear that he's, like, an FBI informant that is, <laughs> like, oh. always happens with these fucking idiots, has infiltrated the group, and he's he is actively undermining it. Mm-hmm. But in the film... They leave it very ambiguous. Like they, he shows up to save Sandra Bullock from getting tied out in the woods and, and dying of exposure, and then he just never shows up again. And I feel like that yeah. there might be some other things where they tried. You know, I think Bruckheimer probably tried to put a lot of the novel in, and some of the stuff got cut, and it just doesn't quite make the connection. And I think some of these third act problems are there's probably more rich details and probably more sophisticated plot in the book and they're kind of dumbing it down and streamlining it in it yeah that's probably true 
but they're going for maximum like the like maximum emotional impact in favor of maximal like you know holy shit shocking and awing people into in the uh with the summations and the graphic details of the crime yeah what did you think of the scene between book because like i thought it was insane I thought the the when because because here I'm I'm stupid I'm sitting here in 2023 and I'm seeing Matthew McConaughey turn down Sandra Bullock and I'm thinking oh he's just doing this because you know uh he has got an ego or something I think the movie makes it out that like he was a he was actually afraid of how attracted he was of her and he's trying to keep her because he it's not that he's not trying to get help like the second he turns her down he's trying to get Oliver Platt to help him out right <laughs> Harry Rex yeah. But they like when he finally agrees to bring her on a team. They have this big blowout where it turns out she's fighting to abolish the death penalty, and he's like, "Oh no, man! I think we need to kill more folk." Mm-hmm. You know, he gives a hateful eight speech. It's like you don't have to hang. I'm liberal, but not that kind of liberal. Yeah, yeah I'm not. A, I'm not a card carrying radical member of the ACLU. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what? What the is? Uh, is that him trying to demar Gary Stu? him a little bit like because i don't think grisham obviously from what i know of him yeah, he's yeah, more yeah. of the sandra bullock is this he's trying to give the mcconaughey character a flaw a perceived flaw by the readers <laughs> yeah it's uh-huh yeah it's not the biggest flaw in my mind you certainly see bigger flaws on screen but like all right okay let's let's, let's talk about this i don't know if we've ever talked about this involved move are you in principle against the death penalty every single case across the board I'm just saying in principle is it wrong for the state to execute certain classes of criminal uh philosophically with, with as a rare, matter of first with principles. extraordinarily rare exception i think yes hmm. i think most people given the opportunity could uh potentially rehabilitate i think people can change fundamentally that's what i think people can change I think I, if I, I think there are I, rare circumstances where that's not true, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I think if we had a perfect system, I would be okay with it because I do think like, yeah, if you have a person who like has is so warped and outside of like what I would understand normal human behavior to where like you're brutally murdering many people, uh, you know, you're showing a clear pattern, just like depraved behavior i think it, it would be okay to execute a person like that uh yeah that's my general feeling but boy but the system that we have where like the innocence project mm-hmm. has helped us to realize that even people are on death row that <laughs> these are supposed to be the most untouchable unimpeachable of cases are innocent uh yeah. and that's and that's just that's just like the, on the evidentiary problem you, you talk mm-hmm. about like the social issues where for 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 so many time, uh, people who have uh, you know mental illnesses and people who are from disadvantaged minorities are just like fucking thrown through this wood chipper. Yeah, it's it's fairly immoral. But I guess in practice, I don't have a problem with like especially heinous or people who like I don't know some some kind of far gone behavior to like just permanently removing them. I don't have a, I don't have a, a, a yeah. real issue against it. It's all no, about I, I'm the system. I'm much closer to to Ellen's perspective than I do Jake's perspective in this. Same, same. 
Uh, but I do, yeah. But that's like one of those things. It's like also like when you when in, when you start looking at the totality, that even if you had a perfect system, the expense, the appeals, like why the hell would you? And, and also like why would you ever execute someone? Because even if you thought you had a perfect system, what if it's still imperfect? Yeah, like, totally. You know, uh, th th this doesn't seem like there's any point other than pure retribution. Uh, and I don't, I like, I, I that's the unfortunate. Like, we tell ourselves that our justice system is about rehabilitation, but it's almost purely in America about punishment, e e essentially punishment. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's punitive yeah. in nature. It's not rehabilitative at all. No. Uh, so yeah, it it uh, it seems even further damaging for those people. Uh, so, so yeah, that that's where were we going with this? Oh, just asking because I I honestly okay. I don't think we've ever talked about so it. So if you're talking you about personally. Like, yeah, if you're talking about um, the Matthew McConaughey's character, Jake Bennigan's, mm -hmm. I don't know what his fucking last name is. It's weird. Uh, uh huh. McConaughey. <laughs> Jake McConaughey. Uh, so, so yeah, you give him that flaw, right? Um, in my mind, that whole scene is about testing Sandra Bullock. She was untested before, he didn't know what her game was. And so he wasn't willing to accept her help, or as he knows, Harry Rex. Harry Rex is a dirty, no good cheater, but he's a known quantity, right? Um, whereas Sandra Bullock just shows up out of nowhere. So in that scene, he's testing her, like not her beliefs necessarily, because they don't believe the same thing, but her passion. Like, is she willing to defend Carl Lee as vigorously as he is to put herself on the line? And I don't know if that's because at this point he's like lost his family already and people have been murdered and stuff like that. And he doesn't want to risk any more of that for somebody who is not as passionate about this as he is. But at the same time, I don't feel like he's incredibly passionate about it, at least not for the right reasons during those scenes either. I, see, I, I think he didn't. He doubted his ability to say no to a mint condition, Sandra Bullock. I, I think. I don't <laughs> think it's. Interesting. I think, I, okay. I, I think the movie plays out as that. Like he just was really reluctant to accept her it help. It kind of does. You're right about that. Because there are like four or five more it. scenes where he's just mm -hmm. like, I know. Hit the bricks, Bullock. Yeah, we're in a movie, and and we're both good looking, and by all rights, we should be getting down right now, but. It's not going to yeah. happen. I'm sorry, yeah. Sandy. Go back to your trailer. It's not going to happen. Do you understand? Because there's a couple things. Usually in Grisham, even when things are ridiculous, because again, I love the fucking Rainmaker. It's my favorite of the Grisham movies. Uh, hmm. Every time there's like a lead, even when they're ridiculous, spy versus spy, counter strategy, etc. Um, I understand it. I did not understand a lot of courtroom maneuverings here. The one like right off the bat, uh, we have this lawyer who's a Southern aristocratic gentleman who is clearly on the side of like, we probably need the, you know, probably need the gas this black man. We can't have uh, the, uh, these people getting the wrong idea about taking justice in their own hands. Uh, and in the first day he goes in there and he nakedly antagonizes the judge and gets pulled into court and they're like, uh, Bullock is like, what the fuck is he doing? And uh, Oliver Platt's like, Oh, you understand he's uh he, he, had, he had to draw blood. first blood like what the fuck what the fuck did that make mean, the Jim? first point to the jury even though it's stricken and they're not supposed to remember it he still got that in their head i i've always thought that, that was is my the most ridiculous like and like <laughs> i boy, this, you ever heard this i look 
before you're if you're a lawyer, before you write, just know I've heard it from a lot of lawyers that this really offends them, this take. <laughs> okay. But I don't think if an attorney asserts out loud evidence that's particularly heinous and prejudicial, and the judge looks over at you and says, Now listen, <laughs> that shit you just heard? No, you didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's entirely effective. I don't know yes. that the jury is just like, click, 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 delete. I think that's, and you know what? You know what? Lawyers who don't like the idea that that is a, that's, that's, that's a problem. I've also heard from a lot of lawyers who agree with me that think that that's also right. So it's like, sure. I, eh, yeah. I, I don't know that I can better than nothing. something in particular, but like, yeah. What else do you do? Right. Cause yeah. you can't. You can't physically go in and remove that memory. They've heard it. It's crucial that you don't let the you you shut it down so the lawyer can't like substantiate the point because that's the other thing. It's like, Uh you know, like you shouldn't, you know, the whole point of uh, the rules we have is that things are based more on evidence and reason than they are on, you know, uh, uh, emotion and persuasion. Mm -hmm. But but yeah. uh, Yeah. And and you can't just like say, hey, if you ever do something that that I have to strike from the record, you get held in contempt or something because you, you may not know when you're crossing that line in some cases, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- so you can't, you can't let it just stand and say, well, you fucked up, but we're going to let the jury consider it anyway. You kind of have to say, forget that. But you also can't let the lawyer get away with it multiple times. Then you do, you do have to warn them and say, you do this again, you're in contempt and we're going to punish you. Yeah, because otherwise lawyers would be doing that all the time, constantly, because it's an effective strategy. I agree. Like people won't just forget the things they've heard, no matter how much you tell Mm -hmm. them to. And it does seem like it is. There is a little like it's all like a boxing analogy. It's like how close Mm -hmm. to below the belt and like, can you get one below the belt? Yeah. Yeah, Like how many points do you want to lose in here? Because you're trying like, yeah. Um, Right. I just I just think I don't know. I think there's there's some there's, there's a little bit of gray area, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought the there's also are doing doing some some funny business too, talking about deliberating essentially outside of the right. deliberation room, right? They're right, not which probably happens be... probably happens a lot too. Yep. Um, and I think uh, there's like we we kind of alluded to this in generalities in the intro, but in particular, it's so weird that they treated like owning, like um. You know they're interviewing um, uh, the rat fucker. What's his name? Uh, Chris uh, Cooper. Yeah, uh, who got lost his leg in this event. Um, and uh-huh. it's I thought that it's interesting that they set that up when Samuel L. Jackson insisted on apologizing to him. They you know had Cooper kind of like be non-committal about it. So it was kind of like a bit of a drama of like, is he going to be bitter and angry? Uh, that you know, this is an innocent guy who I think was on his side at the beginning. Like, is you know, he lost his mm-hmm. leg now, and because there's there's this cavalcade of white folks in Matthew McConaughey's world that want to fucking fold and pull up shop at the sign of any adversity, like mm-hmm. you know, and I, I guess it's not any adversity, like clan showing up and beating the shit out of your husband in front of your eyes. That's uh, oh yeah, shooting. Uh, that's some pressure that's that's more pressure than i've ever faced over uh, a, a a racial stand that i've had to take um but it's just like the yeah. amount of like everyone everyone in his life and i think that's mm-hmm. one of the, the the points that 
the Samuel L. Jackson makes about being on a different side. Every single one of them's like, this is like, even if it's justice, it's not worth it, man. You've mm-hmm. got a career, you've got a family, you've got friends, you've got my husband, you've got all these things. Would they would they say that if it was their daughter, right? I mean, that's what Matthew McConaughey, what Jake's thinking the, over the course of this movie. Would you would you say it's not worth it if it had happened to our daughter, Ashley Judd? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, they 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 establish this that like you've got a whole bunch of like wavering white folk that might you know you you never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Like that's all. That's like a lawyer, TV lawyer, rock bed thing, uh, and that's why you know Matthew McConaughey didn't want to an- ask the question about, do you think I should go to mm-hmm. jail? Um, but I thought that was really effective to have like that, you know, like moment where you got Chris Cooper have to be like, no, you need to let him off, and he has this passionate thing. The thing is, is like I the the, the legal maneuvering up to that point where you got this Perry Mason moment, like I didn't get. Because, like, uh, Kevin Spacey, when he's cross-examining and he's like, oh, yeah, he apologized for shooting me. Aha! He admits you shot him! Like, it goes yeah, back to, like, what you were saying where, like, I mean, we know in an omni, but, like, also we've already seen him introduce evidence. Like, this is the gun at the crime mm-hmm. scene. Uh, it has this man's fingerprints on it. This <laughs> witness, this witness, on this it? Well, yours are on it now, Mr. Spacey. Right. <laughs> it was shot in the middle of the courthouse. Half of the people in this courthouse saw this happen. Uh, but, like, yeah, there's yeah. Just all this, like, kind of weird, like, point. Because it was always, and, and you, you mentioned it as, like, a supreme act of patience to sit through it. But, like, yeah, it was always about the summation. It was always going to come down to summation. Yeah. And him convincing this all-white jury. Uh to to uh, identify with this this black man's plight, not just in him losing his daughter, but an insurmountable uh, issues he's facing in the the criminal justice system. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of that narrative about like the the I don't know, the the insurmountable you know legal position he's in uh, and. and discriminatory position he's in is not made in the movie it's kind of just relied it relies on external stuff from the film you know people's general ideas and feelings they don't they don't make a great case that he's not going to get a fair trial other than to say it's an all-white jury i mean i I guess in the 90s that makes a little bit more sense but yeah you're in mississippi too it's not (laughs) it's not exactly the most uh liberal of places so yeah there's the i think legally the funniest thing you pointed out is like when you have this giant demonstration by the clan outside your courtroom he's like ah maybe this have been your first clue that you should have changed venue judge you know <laughs> as you yeah, got the the, the entire clan reconvening am i i don't think i'm gonna go to hell for this am i gonna go to heaven for this hmm. when the grand dragon is out there, you know, screaming about the N-words and how they need to do this and that, and some black kid hits him with a Molotov and he catches mm-hmm. on fire and starts... Am I the only one that thought of Daenerys thinking about her brother saying he was no dragon? <laughs> <laughs> you gonna call yourself a grand dragon get burned up by a Molotov cocktail? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. That, I laughed so hard at this man... <laughs> In his frilly red dress, getting lit the fuck up. Uh, I, I think it's it, it, there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, around. How many like, murder? How many murder trials are going to happen as a result of this murder trial? I want to know because the number's oh, yeah. not zero. Yeah, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland murders uh, 
some kind of some dude from some part of the military national guard i don't know oh yeah i killed a national guardsman uh-huh. he's such a terrible shot <laughs> apparently clan uh, can't do nothing right yeah the the costumes in this there's some hilarity around that too like Kiefer Sutherland and his four idiot friends I don't know they all get inducted into the Klu Klux Klan uh and then they they're given these like you know not not as fancy as the Grand Dragons robes mm-hmm. but they're given robes and hoods Mm-hmm. tailored nicely you know they, they actually look like a professional made them and then later in the movie like a scene or two later Kiefer Sutherland shows up wearing a potato sack on his head just like in Django where it's like the Don John <laughs> I can't see shit out of this thing yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah totally it's exactly it, what it looks when like when these buddies are all in their standard uniform so like I don't know what happened there if this was like a scene that got moved to a different part of the movie yeah. or what, but or is the clan like kind the military hilarious. where they have like their dress uniforms and they have their like their battle fatigues. Yeah. Like the flower yeah. sack comes out when they're going to, well, yeah. I'm not going to get my ceremony uniform. Yeah, dirty. I don't, I, this, this is white silk. I ain't going to burn a fucking cross in a white silk. <laughs> I don't even know how to clean this thing. What? I'm wearing overalls and a bread sack on my head. Are you kidding? Do I scrape I it across this the washboard? Dry. I don't know. I, I can't take this to dry cleaning. Come on. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. It was funny. super weird. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of strange stuff like that. I do and think just Schumacher like, or was was playing with that, like the idea that these clan are like this, like something to be feared, but also they're just buffoons because, like, the movie makes it clear that all they can do is beat up old men and intimidate little girls and children, which I don't know. That's yeah. uh, I don't as a, a historical view of the clan, but it's a flattering one. Uh, so there's that scene where they come in and ki- kill. I think they kill uh, his secretary's husband. And that oh, they I go to their house. Did, they, did he die? I think he died because they all show up in black uh, very soon after that. And I thought it was oh. for the husband. Because they, they cause didn't, didn't introduce him. the fact that he was prone to strokes and that he was like on his. So maybe. Uh, I think they, they inadvertently killed him. I think they were just trying to beat him, but they killed him. Yeah. Uh, and there's, oh my God, maybe the worst line reading. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, I don't think that pigeon lady is actually from the South because her reading on, she's like, <laughs> I'm taking Bud back to Oxford. He always mixed, missed Oxford. Like yeah. she, she says Oxford in the span of three seconds, two different ways, two completely uh-huh. different ways. Donald Sutherland also had an interesting drunk Southern accent that was extremely variable yeah. and by the, the by the end of the movie just discarded entirely it was very uh-huh <laughs> very reminded me a lot of kevin costner's english accent he was variably trying throughout prince of thieves mm-hmm. yeah there was some uh there was some some interesting accent and work she she took a pretty hard line against what he was doing too said even if you win the case it's not worth it you know everyone's yeah, lost. no like she's like uh uh, not a great ally, turns out, that lady. No. Uh, the, like, you know, you think you're doing the right thing. I think you're not. You know, she's like, she said that. I don't think that's brave. I don't think what you're doing is brave. Like, yeah, Jesus which, Christ. Well, what is then? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, she's, uh, she just got her husband beat to death by the clan. 
uh i i i don't i, I don't think it excuses it but explain it maybe sure. explains sure it's terrifying we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause and now back with more bald move there's a lot of questions i have around um the behavior of Matthew McConaughey. Yes, he's willing to turn down Sandra Bullock and not have an affair. Good for him. He's also out the night before trial getting shit-faced, just obliterated. It, and and it's yeah. only... So I don't know how he's able to deliver this speech at all. I don't know how he's able to stand up and keep his eyes open, let alone deliver that speech. Because the night before the trial, he is out drinking heavily the shot after shot after shot with sandra bullock and he says you got to go home because otherwise we're gonna bang and then he finds out his house is burned down and he spends the entire night looking for his dog and it mm-hmm. and he doesn't sleep a wink so he is hung over and he's had zero sleep during the arguably the most important point of this man's life or death trial that's irresponsible Dude, there's many, so there's many points in this film where I'm like, I'm not so sure you shouldn't have taken the fancy civil rights lawyer that the NCAA uh-huh. tried to, you know, like get yep. get yourself a Shapiro type. Uh, and I, I guess the point you're supposed to there's like there's one line of McConaughey that kind of explains it that like you like to have your martyrs intending that like he chooses to let some people die to, but like, why the fuck would you ever do that as a defense attorney? Why would you let a person that you represent fry to make that doesn't help your more pissed off to, to generate outrage. I mean, for you to make it easier to win the next case. Like yeah. what is the strategy? Yeah. So they're like, yeah. it, they're like, Oh, he's going to sacrifice a black man so that he can, you know, build up his ego and, uh, that was another weird one where they like tricked the black church and a black organization defrauded it. Well, I guess they started it. Yeah, I think the the pastor was trying to generate a certain outcome, and they didn't want that outcome, and so it was legit in my mind that they take the money. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, like they they fundraised on the back of we're helping her family. Uh, and then they're using it to make this uh, civil rights point, but it's a righteous one. Like, yeah, like if we, you know, like this, this is a big moment for black folks in Mississippi. If a uh, if a white jury can sympathize enough to let a black man off for you know avenging his his little girl, then that says something about the state. And, and they send him to the gas mm-hmm. chamber. It says something about the states. It's like I get having wanting to have skin in the game because you already do, right? It, ma- it makes but it's, sense, it's, it's, but. That's another one that felt that's another part that felt really white when because like if they film that if they film that today in that exact same way, it would not be treated like as a tag team where it's like, you know, Samuel Jackson's like, didn't you raise that for my kids money? Boom, 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 boom. And then Matthew McConaughey comes over and is like, yeah, black civil rights agent. You did a whole bunch of like hits him with the elbow. Like McConaughey would just be like, hey, 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 step back and let Sam work. Let 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 him argue with the black ministers. Yeah. Don't don't wait. Put McConaughey, please just stay. You don't you don't need to. Samuel's uh-huh. not Sam's not trying to tag you in. Just sit the fuck down. Yeah, it was a little little cringy. I thought. And I have a bit of a problem with Sam Jackson setting that scenario up because the whole oh, because it was all engineered by them to do. It was that. engineered, yeah, by Sam Jackson and. 
the thing is you have to kind of know a bit about the law to to think that that's going to work right like you can know that your pastor has more or less defrauded the church um right kind of or or at least done it for you know potentially personal it's very obi-wan kenobi person a a certain point of view like absolutely it does help the family to get you uh yeah yeah but what sam jackson what carl probably doesn't know is the illegal solicitation angle which makes the naacp kind of have to give up their the money that they've raised too because otherwise they would be i guess illegally soliciting uh client who already has a lawyer i I don't know how that works either but that's my point Mm -hmm. like there's no fucking way carl lee would know how that works either yeah so it's strange that he was able to engineer that maybe he was would have been satisfied just getting the money from the pastor and that was his whole thing um which i i think that was pretty effective and i wish they had spent more time on the black family who was uh who was harmed in this movie because that stuff worked for me too. When he's having the discussion with his wife where like he's behind bars and he's asking like, you have money for the kids? And she says, no, I don't have money for food this week, just 50 bucks or whatever. And he's like, oh, I'll figure something out. She's like, how the hell are you going to do that? You're behind bars, man. You have no way to, to figure that out. He's like, just trust me. All that stuff was working. And I wish they would have focused a little bit more on that. Instead yeah. of the stuff with like trying to prove that he had killed these people, of course he fucking killed these people. That's the whole point. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see the book whether it like hangs together a little bit more uh, than the than the movie or not. Because I agree, I think they could have spent a lot more time building the relationship between Samuel Jackson and his family and showing the impact of like this is having on the black community. Because like even all the clan violence was all only really experienced through the eyes of white folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, it, <laughs> it was a bunch of like throwing crosses onto the white lawyers' uh, yeah. lawn. It was beating it up, was kidnapping the... the white paralegal. I don't know what she is at that point, but yeah, 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 the yeah. law student mm-hmm. felt very white focused. And I mean, that's kind of like the point of the movie in some ways is is exactly that. Like that in ACP scene is kind of reinforcing Sam Jackson's point later of I need a white guy to try this case because a black guy is going to be dismissed by the jury. But that Shapiro dude was a white guy. You know, oh, like the, you're right. Yeah, he yeah, was the black. The black folks made money for raise money for him, but it was definitely a, a slick, slick city lawyer in a, in a nice, yeah, suit. never mind. Slick white huh. city lawyer. Yeah. Right. I, there's a couple points in the movie. Where like, I don't know that, especially when like, man, the amount of drinking, I think you're sugarcoating it. Like, they imply that there is a Wolf of Wall Street moment after he drives himself home because Sandra oh, Bullock's like, crashed. did you have a rough yeah. night? And you see his car crashed up on the sidewalk and McConaughey looks, he just pisses himself laughing. I'm like, uh-huh. Oliver Platt rolls up at like 10 o'clock in the morning already with an open container, knocking one back. Like there is a lot of heroic drinking. Uh, yeah, yeah, and Anti, let's and call it anti-hero drinking. <laughs> anti, yeah, yeah, anti-heroic drinking, and uh-huh. it does not, fortunately, impair anyone's performance enough to get anyone killed or throw a legal case. But it's wild that it doesn't. Yeah, this guy's like two hours before summation, trying to find his fucking dog, John John Wick. I was like, oh, they're going to give him the John Wick motivation, mm-hmm. but uh, that's the one well, line I, this movie won't cross. Killing the dog. They won't. They won't kill. They'll graphically rape a ten-year-old. 
but mm-hmm. they will not burn a dog in a house fire. That's a line they wouldn't cross. That's the other thing that got me about the, the drinking stuff is Donald Sutherland is portrayed as an extreme alcoholic. Uh, yeah. J- just drinking constantly. He's walking through a field with Matthew McConaughey early in this movie, and he has a glass, not, not just a glass in his hand that he's drinking from, but the bottle to refill it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going hard. But that's, he, that's, that's how he hard. knows he's not an alcoholic. He's still, he's not drinking from the bottle, Jim. <laughs> okay, sure. He is pouring that liquid into the glass. He has a method, a system. He's in control. It's true. He does say he's trying to drink himself into the grave uh, at one point in this movie, so... He's going pretty yeah. hard. Um, and then there's there's a scene where like he kind of joins the legal defense as an advisor. And because his whole plot say, is he, just so if you if you're one of the many people that don't watch these movies, Donald Sutherland's been disbarred uh-huh. because he was found guilty of obstruction of justice because during a civil rights protest when I don't I forget the exact, but it's essentially like he, a, beat, he tried. He struck a cop during a, an oil beating strike. the hell out of a black youth at a. Yeah. Right, and so he got disbarred for that. Um, and he's kind of been the mentor of Matthew McConaughey in this movie. Yeah, he's uh, the guy who owned the firm that he turned it over to him. And so he the joins the firm. the legal defense um, in some capacity as an advisor. And during that meeting, they say there will be no drinking today. And I'm like, I don't know that this guy can handle a day without drinking. He's going to be more <laughs> yeah. effective if you give him a Budweiser than he will right. without any booze. He's going to be shaking in the corner. Yeah, the I've tremors. seen how much he drinks. The tremors he's going to experience by noon. But they yeah. never they never have him experiencing any ill effects from not drinking, even when he's like in court uh, finally and, and all that stuff. So I don't know. Their their drinking stuff in this movie could have been toned down a bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hollywood doesn't. You never you never see a real movie that deals with like yeah I, I guess like uh, leaving Las Vegas is a little bit, but you never see a movie yeah. that deals with like the real like. The end stage alcohol poisoning, acute alcohol poisoning, you know, like people have drink like like uh, people of Donald yeah. Sutherland's age have spent their whole life drinking like that's not a it's not a pretty way to die. Uh, oh, and they don't look like Donald Sutherland. I can tell you that. No, 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 no. Well, uh, what else do we have to talk about? I have one thing. I have one okay. thing. The biggest fuck you in this whole movie. Oh, no. Klansman comes up with a suitcase. It's got a bomb in it. Mickey Mouse drops a dime, tells him about it. Matthew McConaughey and the black sheriff is there to beat the shit. The the Jack Bauer, this guy, and the confessing, like, you know, what's in the... Matthew kind of gets impatient, uh, forces the thing open. There's a bundle of dynamite, and Matthew McConaughey uh, just starts pulling shit on it until it starts ringing, and then he just flings it. (laughs) He flings it into the air... And it'd be like, uh-huh. get the fuck out of here. Get the, there, there should be there should be McConaughey brand salsa all over the front yard. <laughs> yeah, what's the football movie he's in? He throws it like he's in that movie. Uh, <laughs> he's I think he's in a lot of football movies. He's in a sports betting. Can movie. you throw four sticks of dynamite f- f- far enough away from you to that it will not hurt you with a perfect spiral? Or the, you can, or the house, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't uh, know. I, was... I wonder that too. And I went and I looked at, <laughs> I actually looked at some Mythbusters episodes to see how much TNT they were using and how big the explosions were. I think it's just plausible hmm. that on your best day with your best throw, you could throw a couple of pounds of TNT far enough away to not kill you. Now, it'd probably muss your hair, which it doesn't in this movie, but. Or deafen these fools? Or deafen you, yeah. But I think you could survive that. 
And I let's remember. just add it to the the state that he's in. He's completely hungover and drunk. Uh, he's had no sleep, and he's been nearly exploded. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like that. Like once the alarm starts ringing, you're already dead. Like well, you don't like start pulling wires out of the sticks of dynamite, and then <laughs> the alarm clock starts ringing, and then you still have a second or two to fling it. Like yeah. it's done. It's done. Yeah, the alarm clock is there to trigger it, not to be right. a warning that it's about to trigger. I'm pretty sure the signal that's causing the alarm to fire is the same thing mm-hmm. that's causing to the... But apparently they, they had a courtesy three-second three delay built into the the bomb uh, device. Uh, yeah, but like, come on, get the fuck out of here. Grisham, <laughs> you didn't write that scene. That's a Schumacher. That's a Schumacher original, surely. That's mm-hmm. a Goldsman Schumacher original. I didn't really talk about it, but I did not like his wife just showing up again in the middle of this to absolve him. I felt like didn't feel earned. We needed to see something from her that told us why she would have thought through that, why she would have understood it. Like show her seeing him on TV making arguments. Show her mulling it over, talking with her parents about it or something. Like anything anything she just shows up and he's sitting at his desk drunk as a skunk with a revolver in the pouring rain in the dark i'm like this is not a woman who needs to be apologizing right now she needs to be saying what the hell is happening here no off yourself because this is fucked man it could have been an easy scene like she's cooking dinner at her mom's house and her little girl sitting there and she sees a news report where all the clansmen are chanting that they wanted she's like you know mommy why are these men all mad at my daddy and she did you don't have to answer she's has to look thoughtful but like, yeah, I came out of right. like because she was I kind of chalked her up to like, oh, it's another disappointing white person of Matthew McConaughey's life that is, you know, and, uh-huh. but that's speaking of tropes. Oh, my God. From JFK to untouchables, like you got to have the white Southern lawyer's wife who is losing her fucking shit about how how much danger you're putting the family in, Jim, how much danger you put mm-hmm. in the back. But and she was like fulfilling that role, but she just violently hairpin turned at the end. Yeah. on the eve of the uh the summation to essentially bless him and say i understand all the things you've put us through and it's super important and mm-hmm. yeah i thought it was a dream I, it was so out of place i thought it was a dream i thought this was him <laughs> absolving himself mm. yeah and i think it would work better if he was like truly back against the wall you know uh yeah but i don't know I don't know. There's a lot of, like I said, there's like a, a lot of this movie I felt was mm, you kind of syrupy and sentimental when maybe it could have gotten crunchier and been a better movie. Mm-hmm. Is there a limit to closing remarks? Like both in duration and content? I have no fucking idea. Could, they, could he just recite like... Could he filibuster? <laughs> that's, that's effectively, yeah. Could he speak for 42 hours straight? I mean, not I, without I'm, sleeping the previous night, but I'm not a lawyer. Let's see how many lawyers I can piss off. You know what? I actually think that's true. You can just talk as mm-hmm. long as you want. There's nothing the judge can do. There's nothing the bailiff can do. It's just, you know, if in fact, <laughs> the longest trial in the United States has been going on since 1976. Uh, the defense is just just reading the phone book. And every time he gets close, they get a new one. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. Now wild. he's reading the Internet. So wild. who knows how long that's, it's going to last. That's legal in all 50 states. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, if you in fact, in fact, if your defense attorney is not offering the filibuster, he's not he's not committed to your case. 
<laughs> you need you need the first time Isn't when you're that evaluating just a different a, type of life sentence. Your 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 prison is the courtroom at that point. Yeah, you got to sit beside this asshole at this table for the rest of your natural life, listening to the uh-huh. phone book recited. But but that is a service. That you, in fact, if if you wanna if you really wanna vet a good defense attorney, the first thing you need to do, ask mm-hmm. him. Are you aware of the filibuster? How's your filibuster? And if they game? say no, then like, do you you need to check? Did they go to the American Samoa <laughs> Institute of Legal Law School? Like, what the fuck? The fighting bananas? Yeah. yeah, take it to the ACLU if they say no. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's a hundred percent vetted legal opinion. <laughs> anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Uh, a time to kill, folks. It's a it's a time capsule of how we thought about vengeance killing and uh, racial justice in America in 1996 by Joel mm. Schumacher. Uh, we every week that we're not doing a prestige or a pulp, we ask our patrons, our executive producers, what the hell should we do, bosses? And uh, we give them a slate of movies to vote on. This is the this is the vote uh, that they did for a couple weeks ago uh, for a time to kill. We got one currently uh, up for what is it? It's Twister, Mission Impossible, and Jerry Maguire. And there's apparently zero love for Jerry Maguire. He's saying, "Show me the votes," and you're saying, "Nah." nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 giving you heartfelt. You know, you had me at zero votes, and <laughs> no one's got nothing at zero votes. Uh, I hope uh-huh. Twi- I actually if I if I hope Twister wins. Well, I really got a lot to say about luck. Twister. Really, yeah, Twister is in the lead. Yeah, so baby. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, so if you'd like to help us uh, pick out what movies we cover here at Bald Move, uh, you can become an executive producer by going to support.baldmove.com and finding out all the many benefits of being a club member, uh, including ad-free feeds, uh, expanded and bonus audio and video content. Uh, check it out support.baldmove.com uh, we will see you back for the next prestige film or podcast real soon until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim see ya <laughs>